Welcome back to a brand new episode of Colorful Lives presented by State Farm. If it's your first time tuning in, thanks for joining us. I'm Amina Tussauds. And with me is the Shmoney team, Angela Yee and millennial money expert Tanya Rapley of My Fab Finance. Well, it's time for our accountability check-in. You know, we always start the episodes off with us being accountable for what we were supposed to have done since the last time we sat down. So let's start with you, Tanya. Guys, so I think the last time I said I was going to start my will, um, getting my will and yes. testament together, haven't done it. Um, but that's just because I've been on the road so aggressively the past couple of days. But I have been thinking about getting everything in order. So I did set up my passwords and so forth. I'm, I mean, we were talking about that, just setting that. up the passwords and making them accessible for people if something was to happen to me. So I am thinking about giving people access to my documents. But when me and my husband are in the same city for more than two days, we will definitely get that will taken care of. And I'm eliminating my debt. I'm still eliminating um, debt. Last time I paid off another credit card and I have already scheduled a payment to pay off another card this week. So, you know, we're still getting rid of that debt so we can really prepare to buy this house next year. Um, because you know, so not now doesn't mean not garage. ever. <laughs> yes, not now does not mean not ever. And so we're still moving ahead with the other goals in my life. Well, you guys got on me so hard about my life insurance, so I yes. have set up a meeting for me to go ahead and get my life insurance popping. Hey. Okay, and like you, after that, I'm going to do my will as well. So I want to make sure that I get that together. And I've also finished my whole deck that I have to actually show. I don't know if I told you guys, but I'm starting another business. And so, yes, we are going to get investors. This we're time starting last another time. business. Yes, we're starting another business. I love business. it. Money team. So it. last time I didn't get investors, I used my own money. And we all, you know, I have two partners. We all used our own money. This time I am going to get investors. That's great. And so, yeah, so this is going to be something completely different, other like pitching. Money. Yes, other people's money. I'm down with OPM now. Yes. <laughs> yes. And so I am going to do this. And this is the first time I've ever had to, like, pitch to potential investors. So I'm actually kind of excited for it. And um, I'll let you know how that goes. But we're getting into that, like, in the next couple of weeks. And the good thing is that you have a successful business under your belt. And so that makes them, they, they trust you more because they've seen you work. You, they've seen your businesses in action and so forth. So it makes them more confident in investing in you. So Listen, I, think I you just tell right. them, have y'all heard Colorful Lives? <laughs> Look at all That's this that pitch. I do, you know? So I, I think I think you're positioning yourself perfectly. And I think some people make the mistake of asking for investments without proving what they can do. And you've proven what you can do. So Well, thank you. I feel much better now. Mina, what about you? Ooh, um, I was really sick last week and I wanted to check out completely of what I what I was doing and I was trying not to feel guilty about not working at the same time. And so I was like, well, you know, this is actually a good time to tackle some long term stuff that I have been completely avoiding. And for me, that was kind of revamping the way that I do my bookkeeping because it has been a nightmare mm. <laughs> figuring out at tax time when, um, you know, like when stuff like merchandise that we sell in the store and, you know, like what is taxed where and all of that stuff. And it's literally because it just needed a better system so that we can code everything. So I actually sat down. We figured all of that out. Nobody's going to IRS jail good. over this sales we don't tax want that now. To happen. So I feel good about that. I also just like sat down and did some financial planning for next year. 
because, you know, like, as you know, I'm going to be writing this book, which means that I'm going to be taking some time off not doing the other projects that I'm working on because I need to write full time and I Mm want to write the book fast. And so really sitting down and saying, like, how much money do I have to have saved up? Like, where where are we actually going to write the book? Because my my co-writer, Anne and I, we want to go out of town to do this. Oh, I can't wait to hear where you guys go. It's um, somewhere cheap and free. (laughs) That's not New York. But it was the kind of thing where I was like, oh, if I'm saying that I want to go out of town and I'm not going to work for four months because I'm writing this book, you know, like, is the book advance going to be enough to cover that? Does that make sense? And and all sorts of things. So I did some financial projections. I feel good. And, you know, and at the same time, it was it was a lot. I realized that when you're really a type A, like we are, when you cannot do the things that you do, there's just this feeling of slothfulness mm-hmm. and just of not being productive. And I really had to fight that mm-hmm. a lot of time. And I was like, I'm not feeling well. I need to take time from myself. But, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, you always feel like if you don't pick Time up the balls, yeah. they're all going to drop. And so I really felt that very strongly. And, you know, and at the end of the day, it was like, no, I need to get nine hours of sleep every night. I need to take care of myself. All of my doctor's appointments are a priority. If I don't do this stuff, it doesn't mean that I'm not a productive member of society. It means you have but to take was, care of you first yes. yeah. in order to be a productive member of society. Yeah. And that's important. It was really hard, but you know what? We got through it, so... Yeah, good. sometimes it's you got to take seats before, you know, you're forced to have several. Mm. But we have also received a ton of questions. <laughs> yes, several seats. We've received a ton of questions from our wonderful listeners using the hashtag LiveColorful with two L's at the end of colorful. Now, this season, as you know, we answer some of your questions as part of each episode. This question was submitted to us by Ashley Williams. She wrote, my credit score just increased 110 points. Boop, boop, boop. Yay. Oh, for you. But it still needs work. Can you help explain credit? reports and how to repair credit plus what is credit usage yo this is legit my area of expertise because i repaired i repaired like Think about the most shameful score you can think of. I was lower than that. I don't know, girl. I've seen uh, some. Listen, throw, I repaired throw my a number, credit. I, throw my a number, and I'm going to tell you. Mm-hmm. The lowest I've seen is... 110. A, I, no, the lowest she is said 300. The lowest, <laughs> but the I lowest was I, You are 300? I was at 408. I was going to say, the lowest I've seen is like a 408. 408. I was there. Like, it was so low. I had never checked my credit before. Now your girl's almost at 800. Look at you. I did it. I did all of it. So here's the deal with your credit report and how you can check it. First of all, every single person in America is eligible once a year to get a free credit report from FTC.gov. So you don't have to pay anybody to know what your credit score is. So it gives you your credit score, not just your credit report. It gives you a report. If you want a score, you have to pay for the score. But a lot of times, if you're starting out, you need to see a report first yes. because you Just need to know. See. You can tell it's not that yeah, high when you see that report. You there. need to know. Yeah. Like, you need to know what the deal is. And then you need to sit down. And, you know, you need to have a strong stomach for this because you got to sit down and you need to actually know whether you owe this money or not. And sometimes there are a lot of errors. I found a ton of errors in my credit report. And I think it's because somebody had my same name. And mm. that's what happened it was from cities that i had never lived in oh wow, oh, wow. So, so you had a lot of errors on yeah, your report yeah i had and a that's ton why it's of so important i didn't have it. a credit card i didn't have credit at all the only time that i had access credit was when i was in college when, because i was an international student at one point you know the way that my bank account is set up <laughs> at one point um i had like my parents had sent me an international wire transfer so it was going to take a couple of days to show up so i borrowed money from the university for literally one week and i paid it back in full so that was the only thing on the only my, credit like, 
I did not have. Are a you sure somebody card. didn't steal your identity, and or it was somebody with no, the same name? No, because a lot of it was medical debt. So that's mm-hmm. just a. It was no. When you said that it was in cities you never lived in. Oh yeah, it would because I went down and I tracked it and I was like, "What is this?" And it was like, "This is from a hospital in Minneapolis." I was like, "I've never been to Minneapolis, wow, that's Minnesota crazy. before. This has never happened to me." But so the thing is, you need to sit down and you need to see if you actually owe this money. You figure out like who do you owe the money to, and then. Um, to, in order to repair your credit, you need to know that everything is negotiable. If you don't owe the money, it's fine. It will get taken off. And the way that you have to communicate with the different credit bureaus is through writing. If yeah. you want, pick up the phone, but you got to do everything in writing, do certified post office things, and that way you know what you're dealing with. If you do owe money, though, you can sometimes negotiate. Well, no, yeah, that's what I was going negotiate. to say. You even if you owe for... the money, you can negotiate. So the deal is that the first, but even whether you owe the money or not, the first thing that you're supposed to do is write the people and ask them to show proof of the debt. Yeah, the debt verification. Because they're supposed to have debt verification. If they don't have it, it'll automatically come off your credit report. Also, things are only on your credit report for seven years. This is not to say that you should go on a shopping spree and not pay people back. (laughs) But yeah, in that building process. But you should know that, is that in seven years, it will fall off of your credit score. And when I'm I'm helping people with repairing their credit, one of the things I'd say is like, we have to prioritize the items on your credit. So something that's going to fall off in the next year might not be as immediate for us to, you know, pay off or work out a payment plan for something that's going to take seven years because that's a long time. And also understanding that there's certain things that you can do that will impact your credit score so if something has already been sent to a collections company paying that off or paying that if they're not going to remove it is not going to improve well, your credit score well you know score. I was able to do that like there were a lot of stuff that was in collections and again I just I would tell them I was like hey if you can't verify this here's the deal some I got almost everything taken off that way. It just fell off the credit score. And then there were two things that did not fall off the credit score. And one company I called and I was like, well, can I um, can I pay you this amount of money? And it was mm-hmm. literally like a tenth of what was owed. Yeah, because they and actually yeah. buy that debt for, for pennies on the exactly. dollar. Yeah. So, so was, they're exactly. fine with getting whatever. Somebody somebody will always get paid. This is America. So mm-hmm. I did that. But you have to get it in writing. If you just get yeah, this on the you phone, get it in writing. it's not worth it. So you tell them that you will pay for a deletion. And a lot of people are happy to do that for you. Then that's the thing. So pay for delete. So there are two different things. There's a pay for delete where they delete it. If they remove the trade line from your credit or the collection item, then it will improve your score. Mm -hmm. But if you just make payments on it, so some people just make payments on it, that will not because the item is still there and you're still paying for it because either it takes, it takes credit to build credit. Like that's the thing. Like that's the thing about credit is about your relationship with debt, right? So yeah. if you don't have any trade lines or anything like that, you're not going to be able to build your credit. Yeah, I mean, and so you can ask somebody to co-sign to get yeah. it. Yeah, it is, it is yes. also actually a little more complicated than that too because the amount of time that you've had credit for open is, you know, that you've mm-hmm. had it open is impacted. So like, even if your credit is incredible, you have an 800, but you're like, oh, I don't need this credit card anymore and you close it, that will actually reduce your credit score because now you've You're had, not using credit anymore. Exactly. You but you use, know... And you've had it for a smaller amount of time. What I was going to say is the um, unsecured credit card. What I actually did for Which one of my friends... Which is good for people who do not have credit. I actually opened a credit card um, for her that I have. I opened one in her name also underneath my credit. She became an authorized user on your yeah, account. So right. So that actually helped user. out her credit. Yeah. And it also gave her, like you said, that amount of time. Because I've had this credit card for like 15 years. Yeah. So it helped her out a lot. She got your time and she got your payment yeah. history, mm-hmm. which is what I did. So when I started my Fed Finance, it was because of my credit journey and I improved my credit score 130 points in 18 months. And that was the first thing I did was became an authorized user on my father's card because I knew he was, resp- was responsible with paying his bills. And so I became an authorized user and then used that to open 
opened up my own credit builder card. Or some people get a credit builder loan, so I use that. that and I started uh, your you credit union. Credit you union. can That's get it through a bank. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I did a credit builder card. Whereas, and they they kept increasing my limit the more and more I responsibly use that card. And I started out with a three hundred dollar limit back in two thousand and thirteen, and today that limit is twelve thousand dollars. So it's just like you know, and it just built up Let's over go. time once you prove that <laughs> once you <laughs> that card is paid off. It is, it is zero balance. Right. Um, but here, that is the thing, especially since we're very transparent about our finances. We know that we need to check our credit report because like I didn't care about my credit score. My credit was terrible. But now I talk about like how good my credit is. I'm like, okay, let me oh, get this monitoring. Listen, so I, have I have monitoring. I have monitoring. I check it. Every it's desirable month. when you have desirable credit. You need to check your credit. And, report you know, and another and thing, I lock, really? and I've also locked all of my credit reports where the only I time mine like too. I freeze them and the only time that way it's like if somebody steals your identity they can't have it. They have to get permission, if, you know, or if you are because the other you thing to too is it. that every time that you will ask for a new credit card and a lot of companies if you ask for a credit line increase they will also check your score which dings your credit score that is only on your report for two years Mm -hmm. but if you ask for too much credit then people see it they're like hey this last year you got four new lines of credit and so that will disincentivize a lot of people from giving you more credit it makes them nervous yeah it makes them nervous it's like they're they're relying on credit now and another good way to actually raise your credit score uh quicker is to also pay off some of those debts that you have and keep your uh, keep your credit utilization below 30%. Below 30%. Mm-hmm. Because it's about habits. And I think that people think, well, because I have a limit, I'm not maxed out, I'm doing well. No. It's like, no, sweetheart. They actually the only ratio. want to see you use 30% of your available credit. So if your balance, if your limit is $1,000, then technically you should only use up to $300 of that credit card right. in order for it to positively And listen, because I monitor my credit, like they send me every single month your credit. Uh, I get back with lim- all my credit cards. Yeah, they, they tell me when it's a lot more more it's increased so they tell me when it's decreased my balance so I just really keep track of that and I I pay everything off every single month you should also know what that number is like some companies give you a FICO score other companies give you what I like to call a FACO score yeah the FACO score which is you know which is still a credit score but that's not the credit score that people care about when you're trying to buy a house or get a car so that's just something that's good to know the other thing too is that if you open too many accounts you're going to bring down the average age of your accounts that's what I was talking about with also closing Mm -hmm. them so you should keep your accounts open as long as possible and, you know, you should you should really anytime before you open a credit card, you should think about what you want to do. I, I have friends who are like really big into like opening credit cards for points and all that stuff, <laughs> you know, and they're like chasing mileage and it works for them. But it is a huge financial decision that you have to make anytime that yeah. you, you can't just like do it willy nilly. And also you got to think about if you're opening a credit card, is it just like a credit card to a store where you're buying like lingerie or is it a thing that you can use everywhere and really think about how how long you're going to have to carry that with you, right? You you know what really helped me a lot was that I did work in retail. So, you know, as part of working there, you have to get the credit card. So, I didn't know you have to. Well, if you want to get the discount, you have to, uh, you yeah. know, if you want to get your employee did. discount, you I know, have but that's to. terrible. But it actually helped me a lot because I worked from when I was a teenager, yeah. you know, in a couple of different department stores. So I opened credit cards. And so that helped out my credit score a lot as I got older because I wasn't using them anymore. But, you had the card. but I had yeah. that card for so long. Card. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't realize. So some people do become, you know, 
they're enamored with chasing points and so forth and taking care of the benefits. But I always say, like, don't ever negate your financial health for, you know, getting points because Mm -hmm. everybody's not responsible with their credit cards. Everybody's Mm -hmm. not going to pay them off every month. And and you have to know yourself. You you have to know yourself. You have to know if you're not the person who's going to pay your credit card every month. Then those points don't even make financial sense for you because you're spending more money on interest than you actually would in redeeming those points. And and the thing, too, is that, like, you just you just need to know the terminology of whatever everything means right like what Mm -hmm. a fee is a lot of credit cards have fees and sometimes they waive those fees in the first year and then second year boom four hundred and fifty dollars yep that's what i was telling y'all about and on some cards on some cards it's 100 percent worth it on yeah mine is worth it (laughs) you know what i mean yeah like you and i both have a card that gives us enough travel benefits that like four hundred fifty dollars to the different lounges even if you're not first class but and i also get a lot of um miles and then on my other credit card that i pay for i get a lot of points that i could buy things and I use it enough that it actually ends up saving me a lot of money Um, and the other the last thing to remember is that you know you just like when we're talking about terminology you need to know that a credit report is a record of how you've used your credit in the past and your credit score estimates how you will handle credit in the future so you use both of that information when you are applying for loans yes the information on your credit report determines your credit score and some credit card companies offer free credit scores as part of monthly billing statements while others offer scores up to anyone even non card holders so because they're trying to get you all right but we all get a free credit report annually regardless yes and check it now we have another question this question comes from jessica she says i'm an older millennial but i don't own anything nor have any children what's the point of establishing an estate plan i.e living wills directives for insurance policies etc for myself at this point in my I life love i love this like question you could take this angela because that's what we were talking about I how lo- they told you i love this question so much because it's such a millennial it, yeah. question right well as i've learned it is important for me to have uh, life insurance and I actually am getting that because I was told you know you don't have any kids so you don't really need that but number one it is important that if something should happen and I know it's morbid to think about it sometimes but it's practical mm-hmm. you know at least that my family won't have to worry about paying mm-hmm. for a funeral or any of those things it'll be taken care of yeah. but aside from that there's the cash value life insurance which I learned about you know while we were in New Orleans at the State Farm office where we talked about how you can actually get a life insurance policy that's a cash value life insurance policy and actually use that money and borrow against it and pay yourself back. And, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like your own bank, basically. So that actually works to your benefit. Also, you say you don't own anything, but like, what are they going to do with your phone? What are they going to do with all the clothes that you have? You have to think about owning things more than just like, do I have a house and do I have children? There are people who love you who need instructions for what to yeah. do if you're not here. And people are going to have to come clean up after you. You know, that's one of the things it's like, you know, people have to come clean out your place after you. They have to take time off mm-hmm. of work, leaving the leaving behind something for some pe- the people who are going to take care of your affairs, you know, or anything that yeah. you leave behind. But it's also a great way to create a legacy. And I think that life insurance is one of the few sure bets that we have because we all know that we're going to pass. But being properly insured ensures that your beneficiaries will receive assets without any debt and being able to pass your money along real estate and other tangible assets to the next generation is like handing off a baton in the relay race and so many people are behind Mm -hmm. so many people are behind because we aren't handed that baton and we're like picking up and every every generation is starting from ground zero and it doesn't have to be that way and here's the other thing too
too. Talk to your parents and your grandparents about life insurance because a lot of people think that if you're older, if you're in poor health, you can't buy it. That's actually not true. The cost will probably go up, but it still it's provides still it. a mm-hmm. really great value and really great benefits. So, you know, probably take your parents or grandparents to your nearest State Farm office and you mm-hmm. can talk to somebody about I that. I learned so much. It's free, to, it's free to talk to people about all of this information. So you should find out as much as you can. And similarly, if you're getting property insurance, and that's a requirement in a lot of cases, it also ensures that you're protecting another key asset, your real estate. Not only can real estate appreciate in value, but home also often holds a sentimental value for all of us. Yeah, and when we met with the State Farm agent when we were in New Orleans, even though even being someone who talks about finance every day for a living, I still learned so much. And just the the importance of, you know, like establishing that plan and thinking about, you know, you're doing it for your your neighbors or like other people like that because I know he was saying like he had he knew someone who had a policy for someone mm-hmm. in the neighborhood and so forth so you know there are other ways for you to create a legacy I know he said one of the neighbors left behind money to like the other kids in the neighborhood that weren't even their children so even if you don't have children you can still leave money behind to someone that's my else. retirement plan a rich person that I've helped just leaves yeah. me millions of dollars <laughs> I'll pray day. on it yes but <laughs> also you. also bundling a lot of people don't realize that when you bundle these services with you know such as with State Farm they offer discounts so if right. you have renter's insurance through them your homeowner's insurance your car insurance your life your insurance, life insurance mm-hmm. you actually get discounts for your loyalty to them so take advantage of those bundle options and also make sure you review what policies or whatever it is that you have right now because sometimes it might not be the right policy for you you might have gotten it so mm-hmm. long ago you haven't even looked at it and whether that is your car insurance whether you have a life insurance policy make sure that you are getting the most from what it is that and making sure that you're covered just in case something happens but no I think that's important because sometimes you know we make decisions when we're not, like not in the best financial right. like situation I've had the same car insurance for yeah and it's like maybe and... your circumstances change maybe your valuables change you want to decrease your deductible and increase your coverage you don't you know? want to so get sued by and somebody that. and then be broke after that yeah exactly so you might if you're as your financial means change and you also should reassess your insurance coverage to see if you can actually afford more on this episode we talked about building and protecting credit and we dug into life and property insurance this week's guest is jamila from the journey to launch blog and podcast she's a wife and mom of two boys and a certified financial education instructor thank you for joining us in studio yes and a girl direct i just had a baby girl you did just have a baby girl congratulations what do you mean just like how long ago ago. you look amazing i'm gonna be in your dms like hey so um i need your plan <laughs> well, Jamila, we do want to talk to you about your financial journey. You managed to buy your first real estate property when you were just out of college at 22 years old. What? How did you make that happen? Well, so I'm a Brooklyn girl. I was born in Jamaica, the island, not Queens. Nothing wrong, Queens. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so I went to school, and um, luckily my grandmother had purchased something in Fort Greene before it was Fort Greene or before oh, it was a place to be. And I grew up seeing this change and the gentrification, and I realized really quickly in my college years that I needed to own something. And by the time I started looking in college, I couldn't afford anything. That was like the height of the boom. And I was looking in Bed-Stuy, Fort Greene, and it just wasn't happening. Mm-hmm. And so I actually saw this like um, flyer or this advertisement for a new development in Dumbo. Before Dumbo was Dumbo. Wow. Wait a minute. <laughs> you did not buy something in Dumbo. I did. For 22000 
No, no, no. So, oh, no, at 22. I'm sorry. I was like, where did Jennifer? Did you just oh, wait? No. I'm like, wait a minute. Like, <laughs> at 22, you bought a Dumbo. So, yeah. So, when before I was, Dumbo was Dumbo. Before it was Dumbo. So, I don't, you know, Jay Z song when he's yeah. like, I something in Dumbo. And you so. had the foresight to know that because of the location for people that are not from. Brooklyn or New York, Dumbo is right over the bridge to get First to Manhattan. Yep. Literally it's, a five minute like drive. You could yeah, walk over the it's bridge. A, First it's stop. a pop in neighborhood now. It, yeah, it means down under the Manhattan Bridge overpass. Mm-hmm. And so when I went there, there was nothing really there. Right. And despite me growing up for the most part five minutes away, I hardly went into that area. Mm-hmm. But they had studio, it was a high rise, not built yet. And they had studios to penthouse ranging from, you know, 300,000 to a million. Wow. And so, in my mind, the 300,000 studio, which was like small, was like better than 800,000, mm-hmm. you know, building in bed So I was like, hmm, maybe I can do this. And so luckily I had a job or I had an internship with, that was paying me really well. And so I was saving all my money. And I didn't really even understand what I was saving it for at the time, but all throughout college, just saving. And by the time I graduated, I had um, put down for the condo. And so you only had to put 10% down. Mm. And I had like another year. So it was like a year or two that was going to be you know, built up. And I had a year to come up with the next 10% in down payment. Mm. And I was able by working, living at my mom's house, help from my mom too. She helped me out. I was able to finish purchasing the property. And so by the time I closed on it, it was worth more than when I went into contract with That's it. Crazy. That's crazy. You know amazing. what? That's when I bought my house in bed it was kind of similar because the house was gutted out. So when I went into contract, I had to put down 10%, but I still had almost a year to come up with the other, mm-hmm. I had to put down another 15%, but I had that much time to come up with that much more money just to be able to and, you know, do the full down payment. So that actually worked out really well to my advantage. And talk about accountability. It's like, uh, I'm going to get, like, I don't want to lose that 10% up. And you know what? It's also great when you have a goal that you're working towards. And when you're making these sacrifices, mm-hmm. you know why you're making them. Like, yeah. you know, okay, you know, come next year, I'm going to be in my new place. And yeah. so that's why I'm going to save this money, work really hard, stack up my money, and not have to worry about living at home with my mama because I have something that I'm actually about to make happen. The goal has a name on it. I like have you. a question though. When you were in college and you were saving money, like did you come from a family where they had taught you the importance of saving money or were you just truly, you're like, I don't have use for this. So I'm just going to no. scroll it away. So my mom was raised by a single mom. She had me when she was 20. And so she came here first from Jamaica, left me behind um, and had to bring me up when I was two. So seeing her work and struggle to make a life for me really instilled a hard work mm-hmm. ethic. So you know how like some people either um, repeat the same mistakes or uh, you don't follow through and do what their parents did. Like mm-hmm. I learned from her just watching her, even though she never spoke to me about money, that work, hard work and providing for me was just like on the top of her list. And I said to myself, like, I'm not going to let that go. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not going to waste that. Yeah. And so I saw her and my grandmother literally with nothing come here to this country and build something. And like I said, I grew up in Fort Greene. So my grandmother purchased something uh, and she didn't care about real estate. She just wanted a little home that she could call her own. And she, by the time, you know, I was like of age and I realized what was happening, her her apart, her um, property had appreciated, you know, right. a lot in, you know, Fort Greene, Bed-Stuy. So I saw that and I was like, hold up. If my grandmother can do this and my mom could do this coming here with like nothing mm-hmm. and they brought me here, I have education, like I surely can do something else or something bigger. And that's just, I had that mindset. Um, a nice lead by example. Yeah. yeah Strong women in your life. You, yeah. Outside of college, what was mm-hmm. Tanya buying? Like, I was not, I was not saving money at 22. Let me Listen. tell you, the amount of catch up that I have. <laughs> 
what to I do. was going on trips and like, yeah, I was not. <laughs> right. I was I not blowing there. BMF. Like I told Angela last season, I always thought that by the time your next paycheck hit, your money had to be at zero. Like that's the game. <laughs> that's that's the game that you were playing. <laughs> You're like, ah, oh, I gotta spend it all. I have money coming in in two Clean weeks. Slate. <laughs> and the first time that like there was money left over, I was like, oh. This what am is, I supposed to do with this? Like, <laughs> this is excess. I love it. Well, speaking of saving, you and your husband managed to save $169,000 in two years while raising a family in one of the most expensive cities in the world. How did you make that happen? And what's that savings tally at now? Okay. So when I, so again, when I was in my 20s, I did not make all the right choices. I did make that really good one. By crucial, Indemo, a crucial one. A crucial yeah. one. They're going to so, let everything else slide. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't do everything perfectly. And so I stumbled upon this whole thing, this FIRE movement, this financially independent retire early movement. Oh, we just we heard, heard about, about this. Yeah, so I, about this. I was like, where has this been all my life? And I heard about it and I said to myself, you know, there must be a way in which I can craft a plan for my husband and I to retire early, quote unquote, if we wanted to, or reach financial independence and started listening to podcasts, blogs, and figured out, oh, wow, we can save way more than we've been saving. And as my husband is a teacher, so he makes a decent income and he does a lot of extra stuff to bring in more money. I work in corporate America. And so with our combined income, you know, we do okay. We do pretty well for New York standards, even with having kids. And I said to myself, we need to maximize our savings. So we just started to max out all our pre-tax retirement accounts. So he has access to a 457 plan and a 43B plan as a teacher, Mm -hmm. which means he can maximize up to 36 thousand dollars a year versus like if it's eighteen thousand five hundred per individual so that was like a boost right there where we're like okay let's just automatically have this money deducted from our paychecks this is before we see it and budget what's left and that's kind of the mindset we went after now i had to like (laughs) get him on board with this plan because he was like what (laughs) yeah i was gonna say you guys were in sync really financially (laughs) but it took i mean it did take some conversation i came home because i realized what i wanted and i I saw this big dream and that's that wasn't his realization right babe this is what we're gonna do right he's like you want me to put (laughs) half of my check we're like come on because he was like contributing like three percent of his money to these retirement accounts. And I was like, I'm going to need you to take that up to 50. And he was like, <laughs> what? Is, that's what? a huge job, <laughs> Jamila. Yeah, so I, you know, I'm a, I'm a spreadsheet girl. I'm like, I'm a planner. So I came home, I showed him like the spreadsheets. If we did this, this is the kind of life we can have and we can still be happy. I mean, we do have to cut back a little bit and be smart. But I think this is like, when we talk about like our dreams and life goals, like this is it, we can do it. And so I got him like excited and he was like, all right. And so we slowly started inching up his retirement contributions. We inched up my retirement contributions and we took it slow. And then one day he was like, you know what? Let's just do it. And I was like, really? Okay. And um, even despite doing that, we were still able to enjoy our lives. And Mm -hmm. that that was a big part of it. So it's not like we were like living in deprivation, which would have not been cool. It was still like, okay, we can still go out here and there, but we are saving for a bigger goal. Yeah, Yeah, that takes a lot of forethought and trust, like to be in love. Love, yeah. Love is what is going to keep you happy (laughs) in that situation. We talked a lot about money problems in this episode, like living paycheck to paycheck, poor purchasing and investment decisions, all things that everybody at this table Mm -hmm. has done. Sure have. Um, What money problems have you identified in your life and how did you work to correct them? I would say just not knowing. So just the ignorance, which is not, and I feel like a lot of people have this, like not knowing about the fire community or just Mm -hmm. not knowing about purchasing real estate, like, or the certain neighborhoods in advance, like 
we don't always know that our parents didn't teach us that for the most part so just the ignorance which of not knowing what to do and not trying to learn too because it's okay mm-hmm. if you don't know yeah. but there's a lot of information out there that's available to you yeah. so you can't just say oh I just I can't do it I don't know you Grandma have to broke, really mama it's broke, available broke, to you yeah. for free like that's yeah. the thing about that's the thing that I'm always struck by financial advice like nobody like so much good advice is out there for free you don't have to pay somebody right yeah podcast you have blogs you have all these so things so much information yeah mm-hmm. absolutely huh so money problems can also be hereditary and what are some of the financial behaviors and wisdom you're trying to pass on to your kids mm. starting early mm-hmm. so purchasing that condo in Dumbo was the best decision I ever made um, financially and for the future like lives of my children right so I feel like this is an investment I can pass down to them this created wealth for my family it's like the starting point and so I want to be able to one pass it along to them and then know what to do with it and not squander it right and grow it so just teaching them to be financially responsible they're pretty young now they're four two and then the two month old so we have a ways before we really like start in it but I really two want two month old better start right. saving <laughs> Listen, that two-month-old, you like, I'm listen. Like, are you contributing the to account? these diapers? <laughs> what is your savings you account? Like, right. like. Yeah, I just want them to be to do better than I did. Just like I want to do better than my parents, my grandmother. Yeah. Like, I just want them to do better. So. And I've heard that if you start kids with a bank account and giving them money to manage at an early age, they get so much better at it as they get older, too. Yeah, incrementally. It's like, yeah. you know, small amounts matter, too. Or they come back to it. Because I know my parents, like, they tried to instill proper financial behaviors in me. And. <laughs> And my mom was just looking at me like, you just throwing it all away. When I was in my 20s, just messing up. But you do come back to it. You know, if, if you have that foundation, you know when you're messing up. You know enough to know I'm messing up right now and I need to get my life And you back have together. an openness, I think, about talking about money. Like, I come from a house where we, the only time we talk about money is when we didn't have it. Right. And I, I understand now how much of that has shaped my entire understanding mm. about money and investing and the emotional relationship. That's Even to real. this day, have, like I've been trying to help my mom get her credit right. And I'm like, mom, I need you to, um, you know, just see what your credit score is, see what's on your credit report. Mm-hmm. And my mom is like, I don't want to. I'm like, well, send it me, you know, the information. And she's send like, send it to me. I'll fix her credit for her. Remember, right. I did it for myself. Listen, I'm like, mom, send, you know, send she me your information. I'll do know, it. She eventually did send it to me, but she was so embarrassed. And yeah. I'm like, let me try to, you know, work but it's like, I'm this. not judging you. You right. know, it's like, I'm not know, judging but, you, mom. But the thing is that, like, there's I so was much like, shame. Well, there's so much shame. <laughs> but, you know, there's so much shame tied into it. it so is. even yeah. if. Even if somebody is trying to help you, having to admit to somebody, because we never talk about numbers, we don't talk about, you know, you just don't have enough information to know if it's good or bad. All you know is that because you're not talking about it, it sounds bad. Listen, when my mom found out I was good at, like, repairing credit and fixing credit, she was on me. She said, so this item has been here. Like, (laughs) she was on me every week. And it was like, oh, my gosh, leave me alone. Your credit score is already good. She's like, she was trying to be a perfectionist. But it is important to have those conversations and to let your children know that they can come to you and ask questions when they're ready. And to make it normal. Right. The shame you talked about is really, like, just to let that go. Right. Like to let it go. Well, Jamila, what are some of the resources you look to in order to increase your financial IQ? What are some of the gems that you've learned in actually hosting your own podcast? Mm, Yeah. So I love talking to other people on the journey. So whether that is they've reached financial independence, they're just starting 
low, mid, high income earners. I think there's like a common thread on people who become successful doing this. And that's discipline. That's, you know, just a strong money mindset habits, um, just strong mindset in general. And so I just love learning from those kind of people. And what I've learned is that you one have to believe you can do it. And so no matter what your income level is, like I know the number 169,000 is a lot. And that's like really like for someone listening could be like, I don't make that much. Mm -hmm. I can't do that. So bye. Like I'm not listening to her. And it's not about like the big number. It's just about what you can do based on your income and your Mm -hmm. expenses. Any bit counts. Like I always say like, paying off a credit card, saving $500, that's what's important. And so acknowledging those small wins that lead to big wins, like that is where I see people like who reach their goals, like they do. They acknowledge that and they move forward. One of my favorite quotes is financial success is doing what you said you would do with your money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's not just about reaching somebody else's goals. It's about doing what you said you wanted to do with your money. I love so, that. Yeah. Um, I'm also glad that you said that you're a spreadsheet girl because <laughs> I am also a spreadsheet girl to the point where... Um, it's, it's even like where I plan trips and my friends get so angry. I'm like, we're going on a trip. Here's a spreadsheet. And they're like, please put this information in an email. But I've been using my spreadsheets to finally budget this year. And it's been, it's been a game changer for me and figuring that out. So what budgeting methods and or tools are you using and how is it different budgeting for a family versus an individual? I think about that all the time. I know when you I have some apps that down, you use. I know, but now I'm just like this. this you do an actual spreadsheet. I know. I do the whole spreadsheet. I'm like, here's my entire money across the spreadsheet. I'm a pen and, and paper see it. girl. Yeah. And I like but yeah, but I think down. about yeah. but I think about families all the time because you know there's days where I'm like, okay, I'm proud of myself, and there's other days where I just look at it. And I'm like, oh, thank God, I've only disappointed myself. <laughs> <laughs> if, if I had like a mouth to feed or right. or like a partner that I had to be accountable you would probably to, make different decisions. I would, though. I mean, probably right. But Negative. the only but the only information that I I have is I'm like I'm like I know how to fail for one person and I know how to succeed. But for now you one have these person. accountability check-ins, so Ooh, girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I like zero-based budgeting where you give every dollar a job. So there's like nothing left over. Everything is either going to saving, paying off debt, investing. It's working for you, and that's important. Um, so apps I like I like. Just pen, pen and paper. I advise clients like I'm working with someone one on one. If you've never budgeted before, let's start with the pen and paper. Just write down your expenses just to track it. And then if you want to move to an app, like I love like YNAB. That's like a pretty cool budgeting app. There's like a lots of cool tools out there that are very. What is it YNAB? YNAB. YNAB. You, need you need a budget. You need yeah. a budget. And I it's think I popular. use it and I like that my husband can see it on his phone. And like you said, it is different and more complicated budgeting with someone because they have to stick on <laughs> stick on track to it too. And sometimes they have different goals. So you want to make sure you're incorporating that in the budget. Because Mr. Fab Finance is not always Mr. Fab Finance. <laughs> <laughs> we have to talk about things wow. sometimes. Mr. Fab Finance is somewhere going like Mrs. Fab Finance, not so fab. Like she out here telling my business. I always tell my husband's business. He don't care. I know, Listen, and he's not, I'm very and good he's at, not here to protect him to, to defend him. I'm very good at making excuses for things that I do. Like, well, I kind of have to buy this because it goes along with the whole thing that the image is going to actually help me get to this point. And I justify like every purchase that I make like that, and I do have to stop doing that. I know. Well, yeah. for, for those but for those of you who are married. Um, and you make decisions about this. Do you, when you think about financial goals, do you still have individual goals? Like you have like, here are my family goals, but then here's a goal for myself. Or do they, or do those become the same? I think everybody operates their relationship different. Like me and my husband, we have, like we do the together apart um, method where it's mm-hmm. like, we have what we do as a household and we have what we do as individuals, especially since both of us are entrepreneurs. And so it's like, 
I know you're buying this camera equipment for your career, but that's <laughs> not, for, not going not for your like Instagram. that. Like, uh, that's on you, boo. And so, like, I think it does depend on the nature. But my parents do things differently because they just have different lifestyles than we do. So, I don't know, Jamila, what do you guys do? Yeah, we definitely have individual goals. We have, like, one account. We have like, one savings account, um, one checking account, and we have separate checking accounts, right. right? But we put everything into one pot and then budget from there. The one thing I'd say is that the different goal part, like, so I'm not into like the fanciness and the luxury stuff anymore. Like in my 20s, like I said, I made some mistakes or I bought some things I wouldn't buy now. My husband, I know he wants like a nice car, like mm-hmm. again, we both had nicer cars and we got more economical cars now. So I know a goal of his is to get a luxury car. Now that doesn't really fit into like our budget right now, but I told him, like, listen, if I can make that happen, I'll make it happen. We'll make it happen together. And doing that, I think, lets him see, like, yep, we're working together. Like, even though right now we're focusing on this saving and investing goal, I know Jamila, at the end of the day, will have my back and supports me and my goals, too. Mm -hmm. So that's what allows him to feel confident and want to work with me, like, to accomplish this. Because he sees that we're both going to get what we want out of this if we do it together. That Ferrari's on the way, Fire. That's, that's right, Mister Journey to Launch. Don't you worry, your Tesla is gonna be home soon. But I love that. And um, um, Tish, another um, financial expert from our community, she told me that her and her husband, what they do is like they list out what's important to them, and then they give it a rank. And so, like anything that's a lower that rank, then it's not a priority. But anything either one of them has a high ranking is, is high ranking, then it becomes a priority for the that. both of them. And I love that because you know you have the small things and so forth, and then you have the larger things. You're like, no, like so. I'm the luxury car person in my relationship. My husband from New York didn't have a car before he met me. Probably lucky he has a license. Listen, he, he got a license when he met me. You right. know, we I'm on Mr. Fab Finance's team here. You Thank know, and I'm, you, so we bought, a, we bought an economical car when we moved to L.A. And then mm-hmm. he messed around and rented a luxury car for like something he was doing. I said, so you shouldn't even put me, you shouldn't have put me in that car. Because like now I'm like, we're going to buy a luxury car. So that's a high cash. ranking for you. Yeah, that's oh, high ranking. Like I, that's one thing I grew up. Like my mom was like, all about like my mom's about luxury cars I grew up riding them as a kid so it's like as an adult I'm like yeah I'm in this economical car economical <laughs> car but, that, but that's, good, the, but that's the whole car, point but... about making good money decisions right yeah. is that like then you can have what you want and the only we way did. we bought an economical car the only way you can afford what so, you want yep. is if you have the money to do that and we did and I can justify property, that and then now that we're like at a place we're like okay we're looking you know at that in the face it's like okay now I can go ahead and make this financial the justification decision. for that is my fab finance needs a my fab car <laughs> you know I, I gotta pull up when it I pull up I gotta walk in like I'm talking right it's already it's already in the name of your brand right. <laughs> like, no like I, I did that intentionally it was not my broke finance it was right. like you know what you're gonna get here okay don't oh judge me oh my gosh Jamila thank you so much for joining us where can people connect with you online for more information sure you can check out my site journey to launch.com I'm also on all social media as journey to launch so tweet me Instagram Facebook just contact me I love responding and interacting and listen to my podcast it's everywhere you listen to podcasts journey to yeah. launch yes Ask her those questions about doing this with children. I think that daunts a lot of people. So Jamila, could have see you. Thank you so much, guys. That's all the time we got this week, Shmoney team. For more info on credit scores, just visit letstarttoday.com and search credit scores. Make sure you keep on sending us your questions and your comments on social using hashtag 
Live Colorful, of course, the two L's at the end of colorful. And we may use them on an upcoming episode. And you're famous. You can also email us at colorfullivespod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail on the Colorful Lifeline. That's 646-580-0576. But guess what? If we use your question, we'll send you a copy, a signed copy of my best-selling book, The Money Manual, as a special thank you. We'll have new episodes dropping every Wednesday all summer long. So don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or SoundCloud to be the first to hear brand new episodes when they drop. Colorful Lives, presented by State Farm, is a Loudspeakers Studios production. Our executive producers are Matt Raz and Chris Morrow. The show is engineered and edited by Dwayne Crawford. For more information on Colorful Lives and other loudspeaker podcasts, follow LSN Podcasts on Twitter or Loudspeakers Network on Instagram. Ooh.